0: Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to celebrate one of the greatest days of the year, the day that we celebrate your birth, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we walk through the word today, uh, that you would just be with us, that you would transform us by the power of your scripture. And wherever we are, wherever we're watching from, Lord, that, uh, that we would just be impacted by the story of your birth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, Merry Christmas. Oh man, Christmas is my favorite holiday of the year. Uh, I get a lot of joy from celebrating Christmas, celebrating Christmas with uh, the church together. Uh, Today we're gonna be talking about the birth of Jesus. Uh, But first I wanna welcome you, if you're new, so glad that you can be with us today. My name is Justin. I am the pastor of Zion. And uh, if you are new, I'd love for you to drop a comment in uh, wherever you're watching from. Say hi or wave. Uh, whether you, or if you aren't new, let us know that you're here. We'd love to say hi to you. One of our hosts will reach back out. But we're so glad that everybody did uh, come and is celebrating Christmas with us today. I'm going to be reading from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. You can read along with me or just listen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been bethroned to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Such an incredible passage, like I said, uh, I love celebrating Christmas. There's two reasons why I love celebrating Christmas. I love uh, to be able to give gifts to loved ones, I love to receive gifts from loved ones, uh, and I love to remember Jesus and his birth. It is an incredible thing. Today what we are celebrating as a church is the birth that changed the history of the world. Literally, we split our calendar in two from this birth. It is a time before Jesus was born and a time after Jesus was born. The world was never the same after Jesus came. And that is what we are celebrating today the birth that forever marked our life and our calendars in a way that we know all of history as a time before and a time after. Christ's birth was unlike anything we as humans would have imagined. In fact, it was under such weird circumstances for a God to be born in this way that most Jewish people didn't even believe. Not even the religious elite did not believe, uh, could not believe that this is how their God, their savior, their Messiah, Yeshua, has come to save them. This Jesus character, this is him? The passage that I just read is one of the more famous passages of Jesus's entrance into the world, the opening scene of Christ's life. It was under very suspect circumstances, an angelic messenger, and a fulfilled prophecy from hundreds of years earlier that our author shares with us. So let's jump in. I want to start in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew wants to make sure that he is very specific, letting you know that these are the details under the circumstances that our Savior, Jesus, was born. These writers of the gospel were not just writing flippantly. They made sure that they talked, if they were not eyewitnesses themselves, that they talked to eyewitnesses that they got the facts straight, that they corroborated the stories. And so Matthew, here he is giving us the details. How was Jesus born? And here's the story. He says, When his mother Mary had been bethroned to Joseph, that meant that they were engaged. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So before they came together is fancy Bible talk for, you know, before they got married, before they had sex, before they knew each other. And so fellas, I want you to imagine for a second with me uh, that you are engaged and your fiance comes to you and says, listen, I'm pregnant, but it's from the Holy Spirit what I want you to do is, what would be the meme face that uh, if she texts you this, right? We're, we're today's day and age. So you're obviously not even having this conversation in person. You're texting each other about this. So she texts you, I'm pregnant, dot, dot, dot. It's from the Holy Spirit. What meme face do you send her back? In fact, I want you to drop that meme in the comments, whatever meme face that is, or share it with your house church because. Let me tell you, I was looking through them and there are a lot of meme faces that I feel like, yeah, so you're pregnant from the Holy Spirit, right? uh, Is that the story uh, that we're going with right now? Um, I think I'd personally be trying to decode that as like, Did some like really righteous holy roller knock you up and get you pregnant? And we're saying that's from the Holy Spirit. Did you sense from God to have sex with somebody else? And while we were married, and so like, that's what you're saying, you know, like, I've heard the craziest things that God tells people to do, you know, and so I wouldn't put it past somebody. Uh, you know, what, what is, what is, what is she trying to say? Uh, but no matter what the answer is, if your engaged fiance comes to you and tells you I'm pregnant from the Holy Spirit, what do you do? Well, what did Joseph do? And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So at this point, what happens is uh, when you are engaged or you're bethroned to each other, it is like being married. It, it is really going through a divorce process at that point if you are not uh, going to come together. It is, it is, you, you have already committed to lifelong relationship with each other in that process. Think about it as much, maybe a little bit more than the level that we think of engaged couples today. I know today you can be engaged for like 20 years and never get married, but that's not really the circumstance. Usually when someone gets engaged, you're looking at a year, two years, maybe less uh, before you're getting married. And a breakup from an engagement is pretty heartbreaking and can feel like the trauma of what a divorce can feel like. And so what does Joseph do? He does what anybody would do. He's just like, listen, I won't tell anybody. I won't post it on Facebook that you were sleeping around, that you're pregnant. It's not from me. You know, we don't have to go down that route. Let's, I'm just going to quietly, we'll just, you know, we'll go our separate ways. No tweets, no divorce lawyers. Let's just, let's call it a day. And so, let's see what happens. In verse 20, it says, But as he considered these things, I mean, Joseph is a great guy. He's actually considering. Uh, doing this. I mean, I don't know if this would really be something I'm considering. It would probably be a done deal. Um, So as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What I love about this is that God is not dumb, right? He doesn't put Joseph in this situation and just expect him to have faith on Mary's word that what she's saying is telling the truth. No, God knows what it's going to take for a man to believe that his fiance got pregnant from the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and what is that going to take? It is none other or you know nothing less than an angelic visitation that dude is asleep and an angel comes and appears to him and is like joseph mary is not lying what she has in her belly is actually from the holy spirit don't divorce her get married to her and keep going down that route because what she has with her is Jesus, is the Messiah. He is going to save the people, the world, from their sin. This is no light task. So listen, guys, if your shorty pulls up to you with something wild, like I'm pregnant from the Holy Spirit or something crazy like that, realize that uh, if this is truly from God, that he will do something wild in return to make sure that she is telling the truth. Right. Maybe it's an angel. Maybe it's, you know, handwriting on the wall and blood, Uh, whatever it is. I don't know. God's done some pretty cool things in the Bible uh, that you will know. Don't worry. So don't uh, don't let anybody twist these these scriptures uh, if you come out with a a weird uh, conception story uh, from your girl. But what's interesting about this uh, is that Matthew, the author of this book, doesn't stop at Joseph being convinced that the baby is from God. Matthew wants to convince the reader as well that the baby is from God and that this is Messiah. This is the the Savior of the world. And so to do that, we read in verse 22 and 23 how he further explains to the audience. He says, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, every gospel, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every gospel is written to a different audience. The gospel of Matthew was written with an audience, a Jewish audience in mind. And so when, you know, if if you read Matthew, the the gospel, he really talks about the kingdom of heaven because that's how the Jewish people understood the Messiah coming, was it was an inauguration of the kingdom, that salvation was wrapped up with this new kingdom that was going to invade heaven. They thought about that kingdom very differently, but Matthew tries to explain to them through this gospel what the kingdom of heaven really is and what that means when the Messiah comes as king of kings and lord of lords. And so Matthew, what he does very right here in the beginning to explain that Jesus, yes, is the Messiah to the Jewish people is he brings in a text from one of the most beloved prophets and that is the prophet of Isaiah. And uh, in Isaiah, uh, we, we have this uh, prophecy that the Messiah will come through a young virgin girl. And so we see Jesus starting to fulfill the prophecies of uh the old testament and the jewish people would have known this they would have read this and automatically known yes this is one of the things that has to be fulfilled in order for the messiah come to come but uh what's interesting is is that jesus's entrance into the world was nothing like what the jews expected it was really nothing like what anybody expected Uh, you know forget the jewish people Uh, if you think about the ruler of heaven, think about this, the ruler of the universe, the ruler of heaven, if you think about him coming down in order to establish his kingdom on earth to create a new heavens and a new earth, how Jesus comes is not really what we would associate that naturally with. You know, think of the Greek gods. You think of Zeus. You think of Poseidon, some of the more famous ones. What was their human form and entrance? Right? You have lightning, power, might. They have these weapons that are imbued with these outerworldly powers that they use to conquer, defeat their enemies and other powers. You have the, the Vikings who believed in Odin and Thor and that, that was the relationship between father and son. And you have Thor's entrance, right? He has his hammer. And again, you have lightning and power and he comes and he leads armies. You, if you think of the Avengers and Asgard, that's a great picture of what the Vikings believed in, in their pantheon of gods and the entrance of their, of gods into human society. Was always with power, with might. If you look at uh, movies that depict new pantheons, uh, like the, the, the pantheon of Olympus, you see that the gods are towering, tall, powerful, muscular, right? They they are they have these weapons with all of this might and they conquer with power humans have no chance. There is no human frailty or weakness in them. They can destroy humans with a swing of their, you know, axe or hammer or sword, whatever it is. Now, here comes Jesus, the true ruler of the universe, coming to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. And he comes as a frail baby to an unmarried 14-year-old girl And can't even find a place at the inn to be born. And so he's born in a manger amongst animals. God doesn't come to Jerusalem, which is the place of power of his people, with powers of war and with an army behind him as the Jewish people expected, as anybody would have expected their God to come. Instead, he comes as a baby to understand our weaknesses. And his powers include powers of forgiveness, of healing, and of restoration. These are the powers that we see God use, Jesus' command most often and constantly. Not the powers that the Jewish people were looking for that any people would have thought the long-awaited Savior, thousands of years would have come as. See, Jesus is a very different person. He's a very different leader. He's a very different God. One of my favorite stories is um, when Jesus is talking with the disciples and the disciples are cramming to know Who's going to sit at your right hand? Who, who's your favorite? Who's going to be the most powerful? And Jesus kind of schools the disciples on the ways of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, this is, the, this is something that the Gentiles do. This is something that the world does, where they, they want to have titles and lordship over other people, and they, they use that as a place of power in order to get their way for other people to serve them. But he says the kingdom of heaven is very different than that. Where the one at the top is actually the one who is the servant. And the ones over other people are the ones that are called to serve other people. And if you look at modern day research into uh, leadership, there's something called servant leadership, which is what Jesus is explaining here, which has been time and time again proven to be the best type of leadership. And so what Jesus is explaining here is that how the kingdom of heaven works is very differently than how our worldly minds work, where we think of God coming in power, we think of God coming in might and conquering the world with armies and angels and all of these incredible things happening, lightning and power and destruction and might. But Jesus... He says, no, the kingdom of heaven is very different than how the world thinks of things. The kingdom of heaven a lot of times is opposite where he says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It is a reversal of fortunes. That is what the the gospel is where you think I'm coming in power and with armies and into Jerusalem into a place of power as emperor over the world. No, instead I come as a baby, frail, weak. I don't come in... This form of just unlimited might in human form, what does he come? He comes to experience our weaknesses, to understand our weaknesses. He enters into our weaknesses. In fact, John says that he is the God who comes to dwell among us, be like us. Hebrews 4:15 4, and 16 put it, puts it this way: It says, "For we have a high priest who is un, who, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need." See, true leadership shown by God is one that serves and enters into the weakness of others to truly understand it and then through that overcome it. When you think about how in mythology, how humans enter into the presence of gods, it's it's with fear and trembling. It's with shaking. When you you think of, of kings like Xerxes or if you read Esther, that if you went into the presence of the Persian king, or, or the Babylonian king and you entered in without their permission, he had the right by law to kill you because who are you to enter in without the permission of a god? That's how it was seen. But yet here we have Jesus that because he came and entered into our weakness and is our high priest, he now ushers us in into the presence of God, not in fear, not in trembling, but what? With boldness, with confidence, we can enter in and receive grace and help in our time of need. Why? Because we have a high priest in Jesus who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Being tempted, scripture says, in every way that we are. He knows it all. And so he doesn't sit on his throne looking at us, condemning us, thinking about how much better he is than us. He rather than comes off of his throne, he doesn't have to, he comes down to the earth in weakness and in frailty and in true serving he then dies for us taking on the responsibility of our sin when yet he was sinless in order that he may overcome it so that we, while we were still sinners, we can receive his love and salvation to now enter in to the throne room of heaven into the presence of almighty God clothed with the robes of righteousness wiped clean by his blood. When the Jewish people thought of a savior that would come and conquer the world and put them as the people that were in charge of everything, they did not think of a savior that would come into a poor family, into an obscure little town of Nazareth, who had to flee from the king Herod, who wanted to kill him. And since he had no power to defend himself, he had to flee to Egypt, the place of slavery of Israel, and then come out of that place, symbolically, just like Israel came out of Egypt. Their savior comes out of Egypt. This is a story that is unlike any salvation story, unlike any way a God treats their people it is a story of love that starts in a very weird way in fact the disciples are so confused about this that even after Jesus resurrects I mean he does his whole three years of ministry with them teaching them teaching them teaching them he dies he resurrects and the disciples the first thing we read in Acts chapter one is okay when are you going to restore the kingdom we're going to be kings with you now They still didn't get it. They were still expecting the the, the things that the, how the world viewed power and how the world viewed leadership and how the world viewed kingship. And what does Jesus say? This, he says, don't worry about that, but I've called you to be my witnesses. You're gonna go, you're not gonna force people. You're not gonna come with a sword and with an army to convert or die. You're going to preach the good news. And those that accept, they will receive the free gift of salvation. See, in in this passage, Matthew designates a name for Jesus. And that is Emmanuel. God with us. He is not the God in heaven or the God of Delphi or the God of Olympus. He is God with us. He is with us in our weaknesses. He is with us in our temptations. He is with us in this pandemic. He is with us in our pain. He is with us in our triumph. He is with us in our death. He is with us in our resurrection. He is with us in our hurt. He is with us in all things. He is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. The good news is summed up in this one word, really, this one name, which is Emmanuel, God with us. Because of that, you can draw boldly before the throne of grace and receive all the help that you need. Because he came down as a baby born of the Virgin Mary, raised in an obscure town of Nazareth, and brought with him the kingdom of heaven to break down all powers of darkness. Because of that, we can, in the very name that we call our Savior, remember that he is here. Some of us have forgotten the name Emmanuel of Jesus, God with us. And we thought we were going through this pandemic alone. We thought we were going through our hardship alone. We thought we were going through our our depression alone, our anxiety alone. Because we have felt alone in our rooms, or we have felt alone as we have cried in our couches, or we we have looked around us and said, What is with us? We have felt alone as even during this Christmas season. Maybe we aren't celebrating with our family like we would we wanted to, or or, or maybe we don't have people. to, to, to celebrate with, and in that, we forget the name of God. We forget that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, that that is his name, it is his nature, it is his character. And no matter how you've felt over this last year, no matter what this holiday season means to you, no matter what your rhythms of life take you through the highs and lows his name never changes he is Emmanuel he is God with us he is here with me in this room he is with you in your home with your friends with your house church wherever you are he is with you It is so much imbued in who Jesus is that it was not just a character trait that was given to him, but it is a name, a title placed on him. God with us. I want you to realize that Jesus has made the first move. He came down frail, Weak, obscurity, unknown. So much so that people looked at him and said, can anything good come from Nazareth, from where he came from? Some of us look at our life around us. Maybe we've heard those words spoken to us or we've spoken them over ourselves. We've looked at our weakness. We looked at our imperfections. We've looked at our anxieties and our depressions. We have forgotten that God has already made the first move of love. And the invitation is to you and to me today to accept what he has done. Before me and you were ever born, before we ever even realized we needed a savior, before we even understood the depths of our depravity and our weaknesses and the places our mind would go, before any of that happened, God knew what we would need, a Savior who understood our weaknesses and our temptations. And he preordained him with a name that would help us to never forget that he walks alongside you and me, even right now, And he has already broken down every barrier. He has torn down every wall. He has broken through with the mighty victory over darkness, over sin and death. So that all we need to do is accept the work that he has already accomplished. We do not need to live the life of Jesus only he could do that, and he already did it. All we are called to do today is to accept him for his own name, God with us. Will you call on the name of Emmanuel today? Will you look at all the things around you and say, I'm tired of calling on the names of all the other things that we have called to that have fallen short of our salvation from bringing joy and peace in my heart and over my home. And will you today look into heavens and realize that there is a name that you can call, and with that name comes implications, salvation, and power to overcome all the things that you cannot overcome. And that is the name Emmanuel. It is the gospel wrapped up in word, one word, that God is with us. Join me today. Celebrate Christmas by calling on that name, Emmanuel. And you will find that the presence of God is ever present. It wasn't that God wasn't there in the room because he is everywhere. It was that we were not open to receiving what he had already laid before us and done. I find that when we say God, Emmanuel, when we call upon that name in faith, what he does is he opens up our heart to realize his presence and his spirit that surrounds us, that fills us, comforts us, saves us. Call upon the name of the Lord, Emmanuel. And you will find that God will always fulfill His promises that He is mighty to save and to give us a treasure in Christ that is greater than any treasure or anything else that we can find on this earth. Don't wait any longer. Don't look to other things. But take this moment to cry out, Emmanuel, and you will find that he is God with us right now, right here. Can you pray with me? We call upon you today, Jesus. We speak the name Emmanuel. Knowing its implications, its power, knowing the hardship that it was for you to enter into our weakness and into our pain and into our temptations, knowing that you overcame all of them, and with that, you opened up the door for us to be in the presence of Almighty God, not ashamed, not in fear, Lord, not trembling, but boldly with confidence. We call upon the name of God today. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for surrounding us and being with us and filling us even right now. Lord, as we celebrate Christmas together, your birth, your entrance into the world, the marking of history, help us enter into the gospel story that we wouldn't forget it, the good news the king who came, not as the kings of old, but a new type of king with a new type of kingdom. It doesn't ask me to be perfect, doesn't cause me to live in fear, but understands, welcomes, and accepts. We call upon the name of Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.